everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. by my co-host Matt. Hey Matt. Hey Kat. Hey everyone, how are you? Here we are in November and you know what that means. Um, almost Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes, that is one thing and uh, you know what happens at Thanksgiving. People give thanks and eat turkey and other things but um, isn't there like football or I don't know like probably watch some kind of sport or you know it's a parade isn't it or yes it? there will be a parade yeah parades and all of that stuff well anyways um people generally start like saying things they're thankful for you know because of thanksgiving um so I see like on Facebook in the past I haven't seen it yet um this year I guess you only do it so many days, and I don't really know how many days that is. So um, it's probably not that number of days yet. But people like start posting like one thing a day that they're thankful for, and I don't know if that's within the year or you know whatever. Uh, like just in your whole life, something you're thankful for. But we are in that season of giving thanks. So that's true. We are. Um. This has been a difficult year uh, for me personally in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, uh, I think when you had difficulties, when you're not having them, you are very thankful. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not saying that I'm wishing any, you know, bad things to happen so I can feel thankful, but just saying that you know that does like give you a better perspective on things so sure and our guest today um chase carson cc uh, and you know like because i just went to brett michael's concert not too long ago um you know that makes me think of cc deville just because cc uh his name but you know first and last starts with c uh-huh yeah, and, you know, like, my first thing starts with C, so, like, I could be Cat Carson, Cat <laughs> <Kat laughs> Carter, you know, like, something like that, and, uh, you know, you could be, like, like, Matt Moses, <laughs> or, um, yeah, no, yeah, you know, like, an RR, um, Roger, let's go that Roger Reifenberg or something. So, you know, our, that's our guest today, though, is Chase Carson. And, you know, he is a young entrepreneur and also, like, he is very on fire to change the world, uh, you know, make changes to make the world a better place. Yeah, I seem to recall reading a little bit about him, and, uh, you know, he's definitely involved in some of that stuff, for sure. 
And so, I mean, I don't know. When you were, you know, younger, um, were you thinking about, like, ways to make the world better? Um, not when I was younger. I mean, when I got a little older, you know, I sort of realized that things that I have done have had an impact on the world. I mean, in an indirect way. I mean, I've designed, like, drug-making systems and, you know, equipment like that, which, you know, I've been involved in a lot of different, um, like, different, I would guess, like, R&D stuff and, uh, you know, things like that that could potentially have a lot of impact on society. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just clarify for the listeners when you talk about the drug making, you know, that's like the legal ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not the illegal ones. That was when yeah. I was much younger. <laughs> yeah, so we're not, like, breaking bad here or anything. Right. Although, <laughs> so, that was a rather good show, just saying. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't know, like, you know, even in, like in your case where you were ending up doing that and doing a lot of projects that led to, you know, to things that, that would impact the world. Uh, I think like just a lot of times that people don't really, but it doesn't have to be based on age, but just in general, I think a lot of times it's not a conscious decision, like in the forefront of your mind, you're not thinking like, oh, I want to make the world a better place, so I'm going to, you know, do this or that. No, but, like, you know, when I started thinking about it, it was like, well, you know, what can I do? I I don't know. I guess I thought about it in sort of a, not a, I don't know. It was more of a subconscious thing. Like, I would, when I was, changing jobs or something that would be like well okay what is this gonna do for you know what impact is this gonna have that sort of thing so I mean I did a lot of stuff like um up at Cornell I was doing working on a lot of research projects for like particle accelerators and things like that and then uh you know in Virginia, when I was there, I was working on a project for chemical, um, nuclear weapons, um, to make them safer, and then, uh, when I moved to Kentucky, that was to work on a process to get rid of chemical weapons, so, I mean, all those things have a huge impact on, um, you know, on society, I guess. Sure, um, and, you know, like, now I think about teaching and um, you you have a different perspective or at least I do have a different perspective at this point you know than I did when I was actually doing it um, as far as like what it could possibly mean or that kind of thing um, our writings our podcasting I mean you know so when we consider episodes do you feel like we consciously are looking for episodes to you know make a positive impact um i mean i would hope that in some way we are um 
you know, I, I try and stay away from certain topics and, you know, controversial things and stuff like that. So, um, I don't really, you know, I don't like doing, you know, political or religious or things like of that nature. Not because I'm against those things or whatever. I just think that there's a lot of different outlets for that already. And I don't need to, be, or we don't need to be another one. So I, I consciously stay away from those things. Yeah, uh, you consciously stay away from, uh, you know, loaning your cell phone out the <laughs> air supply controversy do. You know, so I, I think, you know, I, I think he's to be admired even before we talk to him. I just, um, I think it's really cool when um, a young person um, is already, um, you know, so wise or so uh, thinking about their, like, intentional, I guess is the word, and their choices at a young age. That's a great quality, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, he's he's, uh, out there doing what he wants to do and, uh, you know, he's got a vision for how he wants to do it and, you know, that's great. I'll be curious to see, and and I'm sure we'll talk about, like, you know, uh, was he always like this, like, had this been a vision, you know, at what age did he start with this vision or did it change over time? Um, Because I find often um, that's the case, like, you may start with one vision and then, you know, as you go on, you may see another path. So I'll be curious to hear his backstory. And, um, you know, he has this um, Unity Allies that he's the founder of. And uh, it's a lot about uh, community inclusiveness and uh, diversity and embracing that and, you know, going into the work place um, helping employers to make their workplace you know a more inviting and comfortable and accepting um, space and uh, so uh, you know it's just uh, really fascinating and to hear about being the founder of this organization and the work that they're doing Uh, they just had a fundraiser which is a chili cook-off, and, uh, you know, I always call you chili master, um, and, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's like, um, they, they do a lot of things with the community, um, and I'm excited that it's, it's in London, Kentucky, you know, they should really uh, be very proud, as I'm sure they are, that they have uh, this organization, and they have Chase Carson, in there, you know, rolling up his sleeves, it sounds like, you know, really working to make the world better. Yeah, I mean, um, I can tell you from my experience uh, that diversity and inclusion is a big thing in the workplace. Um, I've worked many places where, you know, there's lots of training on that sort of thing. And um, I'm actually managing a project right now that... uh, uh, has to do with diversity and inclusion, and um, it's actually mandated by one of our customers that we follow this program, and, um, 
in order to do business with them um, they're they're making it uh, a stipulation and a contract with them that we have to you know um, follow this program and develop you know a program for um, becoming more diverse and spending money with uh, um, diverse and small businesses and that sort of thing so it's uh it's a big topic you know there's a, a lot out there that uh you know diversity and inclusion is uh a part of well i think that's exciting and um you know i think chase is really on to something there's a need obviously for it and he's offering a service that is needed and also uh, will make the workplace better which in turn will you know make the employees happier and uh, the product better if it's a happy employee i imagine that you know there's a, a better work ethic uh, associated with that so um i can't wait to hear the backstory he just seems like a very fascinating person and uh you know like cc we don't get that too often where the first and last name start with the same letter and i i like that i like saying <laughs> cc so. okay well let's talk to uh cc and uh <laughs> talk... see what he has to say yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right here we go Well, Chase Carson, I want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions. We are so excited to have you as our guest. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Well, here we are, November, and, you know, usually in November, people, like, start on social media or in their personal lives thinking of the things they're thankful for. So, uh, you know, what do you think that um, people like I guess take for granted the other 11 months of the year that they're really thankful for but don't really think about that they are well I, I can't speak for other people but for myself it's the weather it's like every <laughs> time November hits it's like the weather does a complete 180 you know <laughs> like it'll be 70 maybe low 80 degrees and then soon as November 1st hits, it drops all the way down to 40 or 50. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing from that that you do like the warmer weather. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm a big shorts and T-shirt guy. So as soon as it, the weather starts getting cold, I have to dig out all my warm clothes that are I just shoved in the back of my closet. So... <laughs> Yeah, I definitely take the warm weather for granted. Well, I think you're probably in good company there as far as, um, you know, people taking the weather for granted. Um, although, you know, November's my birthday month, so I'm not hating when November comes around. Yeah, uh, you can celebrate the whole month. <laughs> I And I try to, believe me. So. Um, but, you know, uh, this this episode is going to be really special because it's a lot about um, helping and being thankful and grateful and 
looking for ways that because you know November is like almost into the new year as well so people start at that time like looking forward to you know what can we do to make next year better than this year so we're going to be talking about a lot of things today that seem kind of seasonal but yet um, they're just things that we kind of only focus on at certain times. So I want to start with a quote uh, and get your feedback on, you know, what you think about it. And this is an FDR quote. So, uh, to some generations, much is given. Of other generations, much is expected. You know, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do believe in that. Uh, and that's, I have heard that quote before, and you know it. It does resonate because we, like you, I mean, the first question you brought up, you know, what are some things we take for granted? And I, I think that, especially now in our younger generation, I, I feel like, especially now after pre-COVID, I mean, after COVID, you know, a lot of I mean, the world completely changed. I mean, school went online. Uh, people that were working in office, they started working from home. And so it's just a different landscape now. And talking about expectations, I think, you know, a lot of the older generation, the people who have, you know, been working for 15, 20 years already, and they're starting to see these young professionals starting to come in and different capacities, whether uh, the job allows from working from home or, you know, if it's sort of a, a hybrid type option. And I, I think a lot of the older generation, you know, they're expecting the, these young professionals to, you know, be in the office for eight hours a day, uh, put in overtime, um, expected, especially if you work on the corporate level. And I, I think that's just I mean, I don't want to say it's a fair expectation because, I mean, that's the world we used to be in. But for these young professionals who are just now starting to get into the workforce, you know, they're, this is all new to them. So, I, you know, speaking for myself, I, I graduated Eastern Kentucky University in 2022. So it was kind of at the back end of COVID, COVID was, was still in people's minds, but kind of in the back. Um, I think workplaces were just starting to finally do a hybrid option uh, the where you're in the office a few days out of the week. And so for myself, I, I mean, I, I've experienced that. Um, I'm an accountant for Delta Gas in Winchester. And right now we have a hybrid option and I know we've had um, a little turnover here and there because uh, a lot of the people are expecting, you know, the work work from home or work more days at home than in the office because that's just the world we've lived in in the past three going on four years now. But you have some, you know, in the office who they're there every day for eight hours, you know, they're putting in their overtime in the office, stay until eight or nine o'clock and they expect everyone else um, to have, you know, that same work ethic. And if, if you're not in the office, 
that long, then they think you're a lady or um, you're, you're not a hard worker, which isn't the case. And I've heard this from uh, a bunch of the people that I've graduated with and who are in the workforce now as well. And they're experiencing the same thing, you know, so um, kind of just went on a small little rant there. But, you know, that's just the first thing that came to mind after hearing that um quote so you know even even now all these years later I, I still do believe that quote still applies to our society uh so matt you know i want to pull you in for just a second here with um because i you know i find that interesting um you know people working from home versus working in the office um do you find also that uh, people tend to judge, I guess you could say, that working in the office is like, you know, I'm more hardcore worker than you that choosing to work from home. Um, I can't really speak to that only because uh, when, you know, I worked all the way through COVID and, um, you know, where I work now, it, it's uh, an essential thing and... Um, we, you know, the, I don't think anyone works from home at any time here. So, um, yeah, I can't really, can't really say. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's people who would like to work from home, but it just doesn't work in our situation. So, does anyone ever say like, you know, like, I don't know, like, wish we could work from home? That'd be so easy compared to what we're doing or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure as some people have said it, but I mean, we just, we all know that that's not going to happen. So we just kind of, you know, deal with it. Well, you're the hardcore worker, so hats off right <laughs> there. Shout out. All right, Kate. So uh, I want to know some things about you. Um, let's get some of your backstory. Like, uh, where did you grow up? So I grew up in London, Kentucky. Okay. And for the listeners, tell us a little bit about where London is and a little bit about London, Kentucky. Yeah. So if you're um, not, not too familiar with Kentucky, um, but know the big cities. So London is an hour south from Lexington or two hours south from uh, Louisville. We're southern kind of southern southern east kentucky um we are about i'd say an hour north of knoxville so we're kind of like in between um tennessee and um northern kentucky uh london's a i wouldn't say a small town we've we've seen growth these past few years uh, more businesses, more schools, things of that nature coming to London. Uh, our tourism actually, um, it has grown exponentially over the past five years. Uh, an article just came out either today or yesterday stating that. So a lot of good things are happening here in London. Uh, I, I graduated from South Laurel High School. Uh, London has two high schools, South Laurel. Laurel and North Laurel. Um, I went to South, like I said, go cards. So <laughs> I graduated in 2018. Um, 
and have just been on a totally different path than what I had envisioned for myself when I was still in high school. But London's also, we have the Flyer Bakery, which don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it's one of the biggest bakeries in Kentucky. We've recently here in these past few years have started a honey bun tradition here in London, Laura County. And actually, uh, just last weekend, we broke the, broke the Guinness World Record for the most honey buns being uh, ate at the same time with 777 people eating a honey bun at the same time when the previous record was 770. So I know. So if, if you're a big uh, world record geek and like looking up all the world records, you'll see London, Kentucky in the book now. Oh, all right. Now, what do you think about that? Uh, Honey bun capital now. Yeah. They finally did it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, that's pretty amazing. Um, You know, and it's always great for tourism to be able to say, like, I'm from the place that, you know, um, and now you can add that is in the Guinness Book of Records for the honey bun, you know, the eating contest. That's the most at one, you know, one time eating a honey bun. That's, you know, I did not know that was a record uh, that was even kept. Like, you know, I, I wonder sometimes about these records, like, you know, does someone just be like, oh, well, let's see, you know, how many people we can get together to, like, eat this, and then we'll get in the Guinness Book. But I've been following this for some years, um, you know, with London, and so I think that's very, uh, you know, I'm so happy that you guys finally did break the record and get in in the book. I mean, that's that's really amazing. And now, like, every year you got a lot of pressure because you're – you know, you're the record holder and everybody always comes after that record holder. So, you know, you've got to practice all year now to like get ready with the honey buns. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm just glad to finally have something else uh, to tell people about London because prior to that, I'll just tell people that um, KFC originated (laughs) in London and Laura County. And that was, once you said that, they were like, OMG, like, oh, yeah, we know where that's at. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and now, um, you know, you can add the honey bun. That's great. And I know, I mean, like, there's so many things about London. You you are right. It just really has grown a lot, and a lot of great tours and things are happening there. Um, One thing you said, though, I'd like to ask a little bit more about, is that um, your life kind of was a different path than you expected it to be. So, you know, what did you expect it to be when you were in high school? Oh, man. So taking a a trip down memory lane. So uh, when I was in high school, uh, I was a really big athlete. Um, Basketball was my pride and joy my whole life. Uh, was just basketball. That's all I wanted to do. So I, my my plans hopefully were to go off to college and uh, play ball at a university. But my summer going into junior year, I tore two ligaments in my knee, and all 
uh, college ball hopes and dreams went out the window. Yeah, I still finished out uh, my career playing all four years, but uh, just took took my talents academically to university instead of athletically. So um, that that was one. So after that happened, and I kind of came to the realization that you know I wouldn't be playing ball in in college, so I need to figure out what kind of career I want to get into. And that was a really big, like, coming to heart moment for me because I'd never really thought about it because I always thought, you know, I was just going to play ball my whole life. That's what I was going to do as a, for a career. And so I had to just sit down and really think, you know, what are some things that, you know, interest me, some things I'm good at. And I, I talked to a few of my teachers and asked their opinion and give me some guidance and there was one teacher, and I, I still ter- tell her to this day, um, she was super in- influential to me. You know, I was where I was, that typical, you know, athletic jock. She she sat me down and um, was real to me, basically. And I always, you know, give her a big hug and thank her so much every time I see her out now because she, she really helped me get my life on the right right track. She helped me really start investing in myself and just bringing out the best in me. Um, shout out to Katie Ray, uh, Miss Ray, that's her name. Awesome. And, and so once she, once she helped me out and I did a little research, I decided I wanted to work for the FBI. And so, you know, when I was applying to colleges, I was looking at colleges uh, that were, had really good degrees for criminal justice because I figured that's what you needed. And Eastern Kentucky University is actually uh, ranked in the nation as one of the best universities for criminal justice studies. So that's the reason why I picked Eastern as the university that I would go to. And then my life changed again through university, but we can get into that later. <laughs> Well, I, I find it very interesting and also, uh, you know, inspirational that you did a shout out to a teacher uh, and that you said, you know, because I pay a lot of attention to the words that people say and, um, you know, that you said that she was real with you. Uh, do you find often that teachers are just there to cover the content or to like boost your self-esteem but not really tell you like the truth of you know what might really be realistic for a career and what might not be um you know why did what was it about her that was real yeah so you know i i don't really want to talk bad about teachers because i I'm a firm believer that teachers are super important in our society and without them, I mean, we, who would educate us, you know? And so I, I don't, I don't want to talk bad on teachers, but I I will say, you know, the teachers that I had and not all of them, but some of them, I mean, you mentioned it, Kat, some of them, you could kind of tell, you know, they were just going through the motion. They would, you know, give you a lecture, give you homework, and that was it. They they wouldn't interact with you. 
outside of the classroom. They wouldn't discuss personal things often. They they were just there to teach you, and that was it. Because you know that's that's their job. And so, I mean, I I don't want to say that you know the teachers that I had were awful and I hated them because that right. wasn't the case. I, I I enjoyed all of my teachers, but Miss Ray, she was. You know, I, I don't know what it was about her. I I think she could just see the potential that I had, and I I wasn't tapping into it. And she she just sat me down, and I mean, it's it was multiple occasions too. It just wasn't one conversation that changed my whole life. It was the whole year that I had her. She would just sit down with me and talk to me, ask me like how things are going, how all of my classes were, if I thought about college, what I wanted to do, things like that. Um, she she came from South Carolina, I believe it was, and she was she was either a teacher or a principal um, that taught kids who um, I don't, I don't want to say lived in the projects, but she she taught kids who really needed help and i i don't want to say that she saw that in me that i really needed help but i i think she saw that i i was a student who could do more and i wasn't because i was complacent with where i was at and she just wanted me to exceed farther than what i was doing currently and so i i think that's what really made her stand out as opposed to my other teachers. She just, she really cared about me and the other students in the class as well. Cause I mean, she, she would sit down and talk to other students too, but I think I, I really just was maybe one of the only ones who was actually listening to her and taking her advice. And I mean, I don't have any regrets from doing that. Awesome. And so how was it that you coped with, um, you know, the injury and realizing that that dream, um, you know, what was not probably going to happen? Uh, were you ever in denial about it or were you depressed or did you just accept it and move on? Um, I mean, at, at first, yeah, I was obviously depressed. Um, I mean, like I said, my since probably fifth grade, my dream was to go play in the NBA or pro somewhere and just make money playing a sport that I loved. So that was kind of disheartening because I, I knew that dream was out the window. But then, I, like you said, I, I just was accepted it and moved on and just came to a real, realization, you know, I think. I saw a statistic somewhere that said, like, I think it's 2% of athletes actually make it into the NBA. So, I mean, the chances were low anyways, you know, especially now. I mean, they bring in talent from all over the world, and those athletes are just, you know, out of this world. I mean, it's one thing to watch them on TV, but, I mean, if you actually watch these guys play in person, they're – any, any athlete would tell you there's levels to sports and they're on a totally different level. It's just really hard to comprehend. So 
once I came to that realization, I was like, you know, that's okay. My life's not over. I'm young. There's still things out there that I can do and achieve other than just playing sports. And I haven't let it stop me. I mean, I still go play in different leagues around town and play pickup ball. So I, I, I still play probably whenever the weather's nice or if there's a gym open. So it's not like I haven't touched the ball in 10 years. I, I'm still an active player. <laughs> in the game, huh? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. So uh, tell us about college and when you got there and, you know, was, did you instantly feel like, okay, this is the path for me? Yeah. So I, like I said, I, I chose Eastern Kentucky University as my university to attend. Uh, th- they have a campus in Richmond, Kentucky, which is about 30 minutes, 30 or 45 minutes away from London. But they also have regional campuses across Kentucky. I believe one in Manchester, one in Corbin. And I want to say one in Middlesbro, but I, I can't remember. So my first two years, I attended the Corbin Regional Campus. Uh, the reason being is for your first or t- first or two years of college, you're mostly just taking general education classes. So before you move on to like your major specific classes. So I chose uh, the Corbin Campus because it was close to home. I was still working in London. And it was just a whole lot cheaper because you didn't have to pay, you know, for a dorm or a room and board. And so it, it worked out great. It, I actually received so much scholarship money that I was able to go through college all four years free, which was really nice. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a blessing. And uh, I worked at the campus as well uh, the whole time I was down there and made a bunch of connections um, and then, like I said, once COVID hit 2020, all of my classes were online the, my last two years. Uh, the spring semester of my last year in 22, uh, I think, was the only semester I had those last two years that I actually had maybe one or two classes that were in person. But I, I was just glad that we were able to have our graduation in person because prior to that, most of the graduations, uh, they were just online or very limited. So uh, I was glad that we were actually able to have a full graduation. What was it like being a student, um, especially in in the way that you were with COVID, of you know starting in person and then uh, your last years going online? Was it a big transition or? Did you like it or? Yeah, I personally, I liked it. So my first two years, um, I also took online classes too uh, to, to kind of speed up my graduation. Um, they, they have what's called just eight-week courses. So traditionally, you know, a class would be 16 weeks, but these classes, they were only, like I said, eight weeks. So you could take one class, one eight weeks, and then take a, a totally different class for the last eight weeks. 
And so instead of just taking one class for a full 16 weeks, you're able to knock out two in 16 weeks. So I had already had experience with online classes. So it, it wasn't really that big of a, a, a shock to me. But where I worked at EKU Corbin, I worked with a lot of students at the campus. And a lot of them, I could tell, uh, were really struggling with their online classes. Um, even our regional director, I sat down and talked to her about it and told her that, you know, we, we need to look into maybe receiving more tutors because just students are struggling with their work. And I think a lot, what a lot of it had to do with is a lot of our students at the regional campus, they, they live in Eastern Kentucky. So a lot of them, you know, didn't have internet access at home or it was very limited. So the only place they could do their work was at the campus. But a lot, you know, during COVID, the campus was shut down or you could only be in there for a few minutes at a time. You couldn't work on the computers to do your homework, things like that. So a lot of them were actually failing their classes because of it. Or on the other hand, you know, where their classes were online, the professors would uh, assign their work due like a, a week later. So a lot of them, you know, they were just get busy with other things going on in life and just forget about their assignments and not turn them in or do them late and receive bad grades. And so that I have seen a lot of students really struggle with online classes and, and even in the high school level too, because, you know, I, I have at the time, so I had some friends who were in high school and even they talked about how, difficult and hard it was just because you know especially when you're in high school you're you're used to going to school five days out of the week eight to three thirty and going home you you're not used to doing all of your class work or listening to your teachers online so i mean yeah it, it was a big culture shock for a lot of people well and socialization as well um when you're in high school that's probably as important as your academics in many ways um, in to no longer be able to, um, you know, be in person with like, if you're a performing group or even like arts or anything, you know, carpentry, whatever, like where you're hands on um, having to do that from home you know, that all was a big adjustment, I'm sure. Yeah, and, you know, some some of the students even missed out on their homecoming or prom or things like that. That's literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to participate in. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, just socially, too, a lot of students missed out on things that people, I mean, talk about taking things for granted. No, I, looking back on it, I took all of those things for granted because I never would have thought there would have been a worldwide pandemic that would have right. know, took out of having that chance at a prom or homecoming or something like that. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, do you think now that we're like a couple years out from, you know, the pandemic almost, um, are we back to thinking like, Oh, you know, 
like have we forgot about it basically except for when we reflect um i i honestly think society society is divided on that subject because you know i still see people walking around grocery store stores or airports wearing masks washing their hands every five seconds right. uh, you know still trying to social distance and so I think a lot of people still have trauma from what the world went went through a couple of years ago. But at the same time, I, I think pe- people are still out there who are, you know, they're over it. They don't care about COVID-19 anymore. If, if they catch it or they get sick, you know, tough luck, they'll get through it. They just, they don't care anymore because they want to go back to their normal lives. Right. And, you know, I, all power to them. I, you know, I want people to live their normal lives, but I think at the same time, we have to be mindful that we are in a different world now. You know, we've, we've seen what, you know, a worldwide pandemic, a a brand new disease can do to our society, especially if it's deadly enough. And so I, I think we just have to be mindful and be, great uh, graceful to other others around us because you never know i mean i I see people make fun of folks who still wear masks and you know i'm just like you know we we shouldn't judge these people because you know you never know they they may have lost a loved one from covid and they're traumatized from it or you know they even have a a low immune system so you know they're susceptible uh, the bold uh, diseases and you know they're they're just scared they they don't want to catch something like that and end up in a hospital for a long time so yes I, I'm all for people living their lives like they used to pre-pandemic but like I said we, we live in a different world now where you know that should be on our mind all the time that hey you know in a in a span of like two weeks everything can be shut down and we're all quarantined at home. So. Yeah, it was uh, pretty fast for sure. And so how does it happen? um, You know, from all these things and graduating from college that you become the founding director for unity allies. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, going back earlier to, what I was saying about my, my life completely changed when I was in college too. So, you know, during 2020, I mean, it, it was a year, it was probably the year that had the most going on in my lifetime, thinking back on it thus far, because, you know, we had COVID-19, but at the same time, we had a lot of civil unrest going on in our society with the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And that's, that's when my life uh, changed for the better. It put me on a different, different career, career path. So a a little backstory, my whole life growing up, um, I've role modeled Martin Luther King Jr. And Nelson Mandela. Those, those two guys, I've always looked up to my whole life and, wanted to model my life after them and hopefully touch the hearts of as many people as they did um, and just leave behind a good legacy. So 
I believe it was 2013, um, what Trayvon Martin uh, got shot and killed by George Zimmerman. And I was 13 years old at the time and seeing Trayvon on the news. I mean, he, he was a, a kid who I felt like, you know, looked just like me, you know, a, a young black kid um, living in an area that uh, I don't want to say lack diversity because they lived in Florida. And so diversity was um, a whole lot more present than it is here in London, but just a kid who, you know, was walking down the street, minding his business and a guy just saw him, thought he looked suspicious and shot and killed him in cold blood. And so hearing that story and seeing it on the news, every time I saw Trayvon, I saw myself. And from that point forward, I just was super passionate about anytime something like that would come on the news. I was being a big supporter of it. I was advocating for it. I was trying to educate uh, my friends, family, people, in my community on why these, why these things were happening and why they were wrong. But at the time, you know, I was just a young kid and, uh, no, no one thought I knew what I was talking about and I was just blowing hot air. So all this time, you know, I just had all of this bundled up and was just kept it to myself and didn't feel like I could talk to anybody because, um, my my life, I, I was, I'm biracial, so my father was black and my mother's white, and my mother has raised me majority of my, of my life, because uh, my, my father passed away, uh, rest his soul, and so, you know, she, she didn't fully understand the things that I, I've, I mean, even still now go through being a biracial young man in society, I'm, I'm either too black or too white. I'm, there's never in the in-between. It's always one or the other. And so I could never really talk to her about things because she didn't know, you know, what I was going through. And so when 2020 hit and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd happened, I was, I remember I was sitting at home watching it on the news and I was just like, you know, I'm fed up with this. You know, I, I want to, I want to do something. I, I want to educate and create change. And so, uh, I have an uncle here in London who has been in nonprofits probably his whole life. And he owns the African American heritage center here in London, Kentucky. And he was having a candlelight vigil, uh, for Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and asked if I wanted to participate and I, I jumped on board and I was all for it. And that moment forward um, was how it got me on my journey to create unity allies. So after that, um, I, I started talking to community members um, here in London. And I was like, you know, I want to start a nonprofit organization that, educates, promotes, and spreads awareness on diversity, inclusion, and equity. And I want it to be like a council. I want it to be a part of our city government. So I created the Laura County Diversity and Inclusion Council with diverse council members from our community because, you know, I didn't want to have a diversity council 
and have, you know, just one ethnicity on it. I wanted all the ethnicities, all the beliefs. I wanted everyone to have a seat at the table on our board. And so we created the council. We worked with the mayor at the time and we formed our organization and we've been in an organization since then. However, um, over the years, um, a lot of the people that we were offering services to, uh, they just weren't here in London and Laura County. Uh, they were in different counties um, sur- surrounding us and all through Kentucky and even in Tennessee. And so I, I sat down with our board members and I was like, you know, we're we're servicing people in different counties in Laura County. You know, I, I think we need to rebrand and change our name because people are probably going to be wondering why Laura County Diversity Council's offering services or working with the government in like Fayette County, for example. And so I was like, you know, let's let's think of some names that uh, we can rebrand our organization to where, you know, we still keep that same message and we still let people know that we're on their side. And so that's that's how we came up with Unity Allies because we believe in a unified world where everyone can live together and respect each other's differences. And then allies, you know, we're, we're an ally for everyone. It doesn't matter what you believe in, your religious or sexual beliefs, what ethnicity you are, uh, what culture you come from, we're your ally, you know, we're, we're on your side. And so that's, that's sort of how Unity Allies came about. And uh, since 2020, we've been a successful and sustainable organization uh, that's helped multiple um, counties across Kentucky and Tennessee. And hopefully the long-term goal is nationwide. Awesome. Um, and so the diversity for your board, um, tell us a little bit about that. Um, who's represented? Yeah, so um, we have African-American um, community represented. We have Hispanic Latinos represented, um, Caucasian, um, LGBTQT, um, basically, basically any uh, ethnicity or belief uh, you can think of, we have it right now. Uh, we're still growing. Uh, we're still looking for other members uh, from different communities to join us. Um, we just, we, we're really selective with who we put on our board because a- every single one of us is really passionate about this work and we want to put in the work and work hard and see this organization succeed. So we, we mostly only accept members from the community who share the same passion, share the same drive for this work, instead of just maybe someone who just wants to hold a title because, right. you know, we're not here for titles or to look good. We're, we're here to educate folks and promote and spread awareness and just appreciate everyone. Like I said, you know, we, we we don't turn away anyone. We we're here for you because that's that's what we believe in. We we believe everyone has a seat at the table. So yeah, we're we're selective of our board, and I, I can't brag more on all the members who are currently on our board right now. 
majority of them have have been with the organization since its inception in 2020 and they, they've all been amazing and great and they've they've helped get their organization to where it is today awesome and so um people with disabilities um are they represented on your your they, board yeah I, we we used to have a person in the past um who represented that community and uh, they unfortunately had to step down due to life reasons and so that position is actually one of the ones that's open right now and we've been searching and we have a few people in mind um obviously can't say who uh but but we do have some people in mind that we're looking at and just waiting to reach out to them so the um Unity Allies, what services do you help people with? Like, for the listeners, um, if I'm out there listening, uh, what do I need you for? Like, what would I come to you for? Absolutely. So the good thing about our services is, so we offer workshops, trainings, public speaking, coaching and mentoring, and a, a service that we recently just started, which is called a unification analysis. So what that is, is we go into the organization or entity and we identify how that workplace is set up, how it's structured, how the employees are interacting with each other, how management and executives are interrupt, interacting uh, with their employees. We take back those findings uh, we do some research, we take some survey data, and we compile it all together and bring it back uh, to that organization and show them our findings and give them our recommendations on where they can improve, uh, what their strengths are, what they can build upon, and offer trainings and coaching uh, to their employees, to their management, to the executives, because, I mean, it's it's on every level, the I and belonging work is it's not just you know the lower level employees that need that training it's everybody so we we, we believe in fully um, researching the whole organization as a whole because we believe that we'd be doing that entity a disservice if we disregarded all the other levels and only looked at one so yeah. that that's that's what the unification analysis is but what the good thing about all of our services is we tailor them to your specific needs. So I, for example, there was a, a factory here in London that wanted to have a presentation for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So we uh, specialized and made a presentation just for that day. We've had um, other folks who uh, wanted to talk about the importance of DE&I in the workplace um, or different things like that. So the good thing about our services is they're not limited to a certain topic or um, area. Uh, we, we can help you in any aspect that you need. Um, even if you just want to sit down with us and have a conversation, if you're not sure if your workplace is lacking in DEI and belonging, uh, we, we can have a sit-down conversation completely free. Just tell us about your situation or what, what your needs and wants are, 
and we can just start to develop that partnership and relationship and uh, see where it goes from there. Awesome. A much needed service, I'm sure. Now, uh, this PBS um, is a mini series, is it? Or it's, it's um, several episodes that's going to air a brief history of the future. How did you become involved in the documentary? Yeah, so um, actually, it's a funny story. So it was on a Sunday afternoon, I believe, which was really, really odd um, day to choose to record for a documentary. Um, well, at least in my opinion, because it, it was my first one I've been a part of. So I don't know if that's a norm or not, but um, I was. <laughs> it's for our was, podcast. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, so I, I think it was on Saturday, uh, I was out of town and uh, I had limited service on my phone. And so I got back to town later that night and saw I received an email from an organization that I've worked uh, with in the past. And so um, they, they were extending an invitation to me to participate in a documentary and gave me a little information about it. And they said, uh, the only catch is we're recording tomorrow at three o'clock. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I, you know, I have church and these other things. And I was like, um, I, I kept reading a little bit more um, in the information that they provided. And I saw that one of the executive directors for this docuseries is actually uh the artist Drake and Drake's one of my, you know, he's, he's probably my favorite artist. And so as soon as I saw that, I was like, yep, I'm dropping everything and I'm <laughs> going out there tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock. Goodbye church for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I had to let my preacher know. I was like, listen, like this is a once in a lifetime thing. Drake's producing this. Like, is it okay if I miss? And he was like, chase i mean yeah absolutely go ahead yeah. so um i can't i can't remember uh the exact town that we recorded um the documentary in but it was it was way far out eastern kentucky it was i think about an hour and a half uh from london so it, it was quite a ways out uh didn't have service out there and so uh i was paranoid the whole time I was driving out there that I wasn't going to the right spot and I was going to miss the opportunity but um, luckily I got to the venue where they're recording and it honestly it was like a really big shock to me because I mean you know you you watch movies and you you see like everyone acting and I mean you you just see the actual motion picture you don't actually see everything that goes on behind the scenes and right. so seeing all the cameras seeing all of the uh, recording rec equipment getting mic'd up getting makeup put on me all of that stuff I mean it was like I was like am I like a Hollywood superstar now like is this what this is so you're taking it, selfies too like to oh yes oh yes and uh, yeah. um I participated. There was, I believe, eight other folks um, who who are in the episode with me, and 
all of us had that same reaction because it was all new to us and yeah i mean it was it was a super great experience well i can't wait uh, to be able to watch that it sounds very interesting and so um you know a brief history of the future uh, give give it to us what is a brief history of you know the future um that you all talked about yeah and so that's that's the thing that was really unique about this episode is like i said we had i believe it was eight different folks it was a roundtable discussion and we we were just asked a series of questions on what what we thought the future for kentucky specifically looked like but just the broad future for the whole world and eight, all eight of us had different perspectives all of us were, are in the nonprofit world, so different industries. And so each one of us had a, a unique view of what the future looked like. And so I, I, I believe one of the folks, they were in uh, clean energy. And so uh, the future that they envisioned was um, a Kentucky that had a, a lot more investment in their clean energy and just our world in general. Um, another person had, I believe, uh, agriculture. Um, they they mentioned how agriculture was uh, struggling right now, and how in a vision that uh, they saw the future was uh, more funding would go to organizations that uh, were specifically for agriculture and uh, helping to produce uh, basically more farm the table food and so um and then mine obviously where i'm in the industry of de and i and helping people the industry that well the future that i envisioned was a future to where all of us were able to live in a world where we were able to respect each other's differences there is no prejudice prejudice or racism <laughs> or discrimination we all loved each other um, for who we are. And I, I remember um, a thing I specifically said, and I, I say it a lot because, uh, like I said, Martin Luther King Jr., he's he's someone that I've grown up my whole life um, role modeling after and just listening to all the things that he said because if you actually sit down and listen to all of his speeches, not just the, I have a dream speech that so, you know, so many people know. If you actually listen to a bunch of his spe uh, speeches or just him talking in general, uh, that man for his time, I mean, he had. Uh, brought so much inspiration from uh, Dr. King. But one of the things that I quoted that he said um was he was speaking to a group of college students in Memphis, Tennessee, and this was a day before he was actually assassinated. And so he was he was basically giving them an inspirational speech and motivating them. And he told them, he said, you know, I've been to the top of the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. He said, and I may not get there with you, but one day we will reach that promised land. 
And the way that I interpret that quote is when he mentions that he's been at the top of the mountain. So he's he's fought his whole life, you know, during the civil rights movement. He's he got to the peak and he could look out and he could see what the future that he had envisioned, what it looked like. And he said that he may not get to the promised land, which was that future where we lived in a beloved community, which is a community where we can all live together and respect each other's differences and love each other for them. And he said he may not get there with us, but one day we'll reach that promised land. And I believe that quote still applies today because, you know, that was back in 1965. And here we are, 2023, and we still haven't reached that promised land. And the way that I view it in my head is, you know, we're still journeying down that mountain that he was at the peak of. And, you know, if if you're religious, I, I like to relate it to, you know, Moses leading the people to the promised land. You know, we're we're still on that journey there, but we haven't reached that destination yet. And so that that was the envision that I, I, I had was that we had finally reached that promised land of a beloved community. And so when will we be able to watch um, this um, series of documentaries? So I, there's not a set date uh, scheduled yet, uh, but I believe it should be in February of 24. I just okay. don't have an exact date yet, but it should be February of 24 on PBS. Oh. Well, that sounds like that was a really incredible experience for you, and I can't wait to, you know, to hear um, everyone's thoughts on our future and, you know, how bright or, um, I guess, unbright, um, depending on your point of view. So, um, what's next for you, Chase? I know oh. life has been like. <laughs> You know, you think it's going one way and then it's got another. Um, you know, what do you anticipate is next? Yeah, so, you know, my my super long-term goal from now is to hopefully be the president of the United States. And when I tell people <laughs> that, they're like, why in the world would you want to do that? <laughs> but, you know, I just, I just have a – I'm just passionate about helping people and not just the people where I live – but just everyone. I want to help as many people as I can, and I want to leave behind a good legacy and just lay down that foundation. And so what's next for me is just continuing to educate myself, continue to better myself, and um, hopefully start um, running for public office. Uh, currently, I, I'm a City of London Tourism Commissioner, but I'm hoping to hopefully run for city council for London uh, the next election and hopefully get um, elected to serve as a city council member and hopefully continue uh, moving up the ladder from there uh, while, while also doing the work of Unity Allies and reaching the lives and hearts of people across Kentucky and hopefully a, across the nation. Well, Matt, I mean, we may just have the future president on with us, you know, today That's on our podcast. Right. Yeah, that'd be awesome. 
I know. We, we were, we're going to hold on to this episode. <laughs> yeah, but in 20 years down the road, we may have to have a special guest, President Carson, back on the show. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> expecting that you'll come when we call for that. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I'll mark it on my calendar now, 20 years from <laughs> away. <laughs> All go. right. It's out there, universe. <laughs> um, Matt, do you have any question uh, before I have one, you know, kind of last question? No, I'm going to let you uh, take the last one. Okay. So, uh, you know, we, we always like, and generally we end with like some kind of uh, <laughs> funnier or light moment kind of question. So I think it all kind of ties into what we started talking about with generations. Uh, so is classic rock, um, do you think that needs to be on the oldie station? That's going to be my question to you. Well, if it needs to be on the oldie station, then I'm an oldie. Because <laughs> let me tell you, classic <laughs> rock is one of my favorite genres. And, you know, I'm only 23 years old. And so if it's an oldie, I, I guess that makes me about 43 now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, he's got my vote for president right there with that answer. So, uh, yeah, it's been so interesting to have you on, Jason. Uh, what an honor it is to get to talk to you and hear your story. And, uh, you know, we look forward to following you as you go on this journey into the bright future that you've talked about. And uh, we'll definitely be tuning in and following you. And we hope that before 20 years, you know, maybe you'll be governor and, you know, some other things. But as you move along the journey, we'd love to have you back and just, you know, hear how you're doing and what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I'd love to come back on here and talk to you all again in the future. Uh, one last thing before we go. Um <laughs> Unity Allies, we're actually having a chili cook-off on November 3rd, so if, if you're a, a chili cook-off fanatic and you have the best chili recipe in the world, uh, please come out and register to be on our event. Uh, yeah. You can find that. <laughs> Matt is the chili master. I always say that. <laughs> oh, my God. I am not. <laughs> well, even if you don't want to cook, uh, you can come out. Uh, it's at the London Community Center, November 3rd, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock p.m. We're going to have delicious chili. We're going to have food, drinks, raffle items to give away. It's just going to be a whole lot of fun. And this will be our third annual chili cook-off. And every year, all of the contestants, they, they like like to talk smack. So, Matt, I'm telling you, if you got a chili recipe that can shut them up i encourage you to sign up <laughs> you never know <laughs> uh so how many do you expect um as far as how many people are um there with their secret chili recipes oh uh, it's it's on telling we've we've had as many as the up to 25 contestants wow. um one year so i mean the competition's heavy so you just need to make sure that your recipe is perfected and you're ready to show out because our judges, uh, they like to judge hard, too. If, if your chili's not spicy or it's cold or 
Um, if it's not sweet enough, I mean, they're, they're really strict on you. They won't just give you tens, tens across the board. So you really got to bring your A game. Hmm. All right, Matt, you got your work cut out for you here, but yeah. uh, we'll definitely post that in our Facebook group. So uh, for the listeners, you'll be, you know, getting some information about this before that it actually happens to remind you to uh, check that event out. That's uh really amazing and and as you talked about the weather you know that is november is a perfect chilly month so absolutely it's perfect time to warm up your insides uh but hopefully in a good way <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you can find all the information on our facebook um, at unity allies uh, the link to register is on there as well as uh, more information so if you're interested, again, you can find us at, on Facebook at Unity Allies. Awesome. Well, thank you for being an amazing guest. And we look forward to the chili and to seeing what Unity Allies you know, continues to grow and serve people. And then also Chase Carson, what you continue to do with your life. Absolutely. Again, thank you all so much for allowing me this opportunity this afternoon. Anytime, Chase. Thanks for coming by. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at iratepleas at outlook.com or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.